I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. Welcome to Modern Whittle. And Fran and I have been on hiatus, but we're back with a new and improved photo and new and exciting shows. And boy, Fran, do we have a great show this week. We are discussing men's health with Dr. Paul Sherlag, recently retired urologist from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Before we bring on Dr. Sherlag, Fran, you know what time it is. My goodness, it's time for weekend shenanigans and notable events. Cher, you, you hit it right on the head. It's been a while since we recorded. I think the last time we talked was back in May. I traveled to Grand Rapids, Michigan and had a lovely dinner with you, my dear, and several other of our friends at a great restaurant called Max's South Sea Hideaway. Great food, very good drinks, and the venue is just amazing. And we just had so much fun. Chris and I went camping overnight. We do love to camp. So we went to Van Buren State Park and stayed overnight. We took steaks and burgers for the grill. It was a very nice camping experience. Hadn't been to Van Buren State Park in a long time. Very impressed with what they've been doing. I have been going to a lot of concerts. Number two will be this weekend in Chicago. I've already been to one in Detroit. This one's in Chicago. Fourth of July here in Berrien County is a very special. The fireworks are phenomenal. I was lucky enough to be part of a table that was reserved, VIP table, with the Southwest Michigan Symphony Orchestra, who plays just before the fireworks start. And as the fireworks start, they play the 1812 Overture, which just sets up the grand presentation of the fireworks. But my biggest shenanigan really isn't a shenanigan. My son still lives in Pennsylvania, where we lived before my husband passed away. And because of some circumstances in his life, a couple of things, and he has recently changed jobs, I have not seen my son, my only child, in two years. And the company he works for now, he travels a lot. They do commercial kitchen installations for universities, hospitals, things like that. Well, he was going to be in the area. It was about a two and a half hour drive from me east in Michigan. And so I met up with him. I stayed the night at the hotel that they were staying in. I got to meet some of his coworkers. We went out to dinner. The next day, they had to go to work very early. I stayed and did some sightseeing. But Cher, it had been two years. And I don't want to cry, but he's my only child. I'm so glad you were able to see Andy. And I hope he and his family are doing well. What have you been up to? Well... I just finished celebrating the 4th of July and Boyne Thunder weekend with family and friends. I had a house full of people for nine or 10 days, did lots of outside activities. The weather was wonderful. Got to swim in Lake Charlevoix because the lake is now warm enough to swim in. And of course, I ate too much, but <laughs> it's all good. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. We are welcoming Dr. Paul Sherleg, recently retired urologist, to discuss an article from Apple News called A Silent Crisis in Men's Health Gets Worse by Tara Parker Pope and Caitlin Gilbert. Dr. Sherleg, welcome to Modern Whittle. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Well, we're very excited about this topic. And just to give our audience a little bit of information about Dr. Sherleg, he is a graduate of Wayne State University School of Medicine, postgraduate work at Emory University Department of General Surgery, and Emory University Department of Urology. Dr. Sherlag's work history was at Gwinnett Urological Clinic from 1990 to 1997 and Georgia Urology PA from 1997 until his recent retirement. Dr. Sherlag has received many honors and awards throughout his career, including Chief of Surgery, Eastside Medical Center, Executive Committee, Eastside Medical Center, President of Atlanta Urologic Society, and Phi Beta Kappa, just to name a few. Dr. Sherlag, once again, welcome to our show. Fran and I have a vested interest in men's health because we are both widows, and of course, we wanted our husbands to be with us. Both of our husbands had medical issues. My husband, Bill, died of cardiac arrest at the age of 73. And I don't know if Sherry has shared this with you, Dr. Sherlag. My husband passed away six weeks after getting a diagnosis of cancer. You know, he had lots of signs, but not conversations. And I feel that had he shared what was going on with his physicians, he probably could have had more time left. This is why we have been trying for a while to have someone come on and talk to us about men's health because most of the press that's out there is about women's health issues. And the article pointed out that across the lifespan from infancy to the teen years, midlife and old age, the risk of death at every age is a lot higher for boys and men than for girls and women. In 2021, the average life expectancy for women was 79.1 years and for men, 73.2 years. Can you talk to us a little bit about what causes this discrepancy? Well, I think that one of the big things is women are more likely to visit a doctor. You know, they usually start out very early with their gynecologist who in most cases ends up being their primary care. They go to the gynecologist for not just their female reasons, but end up getting their blood pressure checked and their laboratories where they find out if they have problems with diabetes or other problems. And men are less apt to go for routine physicals, where if they did, some of these issues would be found early and could be treated before they advance to a stage where nothing could be done. Is there a particular reason that there isn't an equivalent for men? Part of the problem is men feel they're Superman and you know they don't have health problems until they become advanced. We're really apt to go and take our car for scheduled maintenance, we have service contracts on our HVAC, but we don't go for routine physicals. Most of the things are found during a routine physical with blood work and EKGs and chest x-rays. And if we would go early, most of these things could be found early and treated. Dr. Sherlick, just in case some of our listeners are not familiar with the field of urology, could you explain what this branch of medicine focuses on? It's not just men, uh, although men do make a larger percentage of the practice of urology. But of course, there's children, and there's things that children develop usually from congenital aspects, so they're born with a urologic problem. But 
basically we take care of the plumbing, the kidneys, the bladder, the prostate, men's erectile problems, women who at a later time in life have problems with urinary control. A big part of our practice where I practice in the South is kidney stones. So we took care of both men and women who had kidney stones. Again, it's not just a male aspect of medicine, it's all of the urinary system. And because your background is in urology and prostate cancer is the most common cancer in American men except for skin cancer, according to the American Cancer Society, let's start with that. Are there physical signs of prostate cancer in its early stages? Most men who are found to have prostate cancer at an early stage are found through screening. Most men do not have symptoms to start with. So the screening involves a blood test called PSA, which stands for prostate-specific antigen. And it's done starting at the age of 50 on an annual basis unless a man has a family history of prostate cancer or in African-Americans. And in those two categories, it should be started at the age of 40. So again, it's a simple blood test, but it's not just the blood test. The other portion of the screening involves a physical exam of the prostate. So it's a digital rectal exam. And that is one of the things that make men shy to come in for an exam. They don't want someone probing them. And a lot of the primary cares fail to do that. They feel that just the PSA is adequate enough, and it's not. Both of those need to be done. In a early stage of prostate cancer, one or both of those may be abnormal, which then warrant further testing. So they would normally just go to their regular doctor and their doctor yeah. would refer them to a urologist? Or no, can... no, no, the primary care could do those tests, but they need to do both of them. What I have typically seen is only a small percentage of primary cares do the digital rectal exam. Now, at a, at a later stage of prostate cancer, men may start having urinating symptoms, more and more difficulty urinating. That also goes along with aging. As men get older, our prostate increases in size, and not all of the urinating symptoms are related to prostate cancer. Just a question regarding the prostate, because that is a gland. Exactly what is its function? Prostate is a small gland that is about the size of a walnut, and it sits below the bladder. And when you go to urinate, the urine stream travels through the prostate and exits the urethra through the penis. As men get older, the prostate enlarges and compresses the urethra, and that's why we have difficulty urinating. Does it have an actual function? Yeah, yeah. the prostate is a secondary sexual organ. And so what it does is it helps in procreation. So when couples are trying to have children, the prostate has enzymes that allow fertilization of a egg so a child could be developed. Very interesting. My husband did have prostate cancer and he had his prostate removed. And when they did that, they did find that the cancer had moved to 
a lymph node. And of course, that's not good. So where does prostate cancer, when it's in its later stages, where does it metastasize? So not all prostate cancer metastasize. Prostate cancer can spread locally into the lymph nodes, and it also can spread to the seminal vesicles, which are the paired organs that enter into the prostate or into the bones. And when it spreads into the bones or into the lymph nodes, surgery nor radiation alone is acceptable treatment because it cannot treat those areas. And we're switching up a little bit here, going away from prostate cancer. Another very common cancer for men is colorectal cancer. What would be the early symptoms of this type of cancer? And at what age should men start getting tested? Symptoms of colorectal cancer could be a change in your bowel habits. So you may have noticed that either constipation or not going as often, potentially having some pain or blood in the stool. And typically, again, the best way of identifying colorectal cancer is early screening. Screening nowadays, it's recommended starting at the age of 45. If there is a family member who has had colon cancer, it's recommended starting at 40. There's many ways to screen for colon cancer. Typically, if you go in for your routine annual physical, they'll take a small specimen and place it on a little piece of paper and add a solution, and it'll tell if there's blood there or not. Hmm. And if there's not blood there, then you don't need to do anything at that time. But it is recommended that you have either a colonoscopy, which is where the gastroenterologists will look in all the colon with a scope. There also have been developments of DNA testing. Again, those are screening tests that if someone is pretty diligent about having annual physicals, they can find that they have these diseases much earlier and much treatable as opposed to major surgery or even worse, chemotherapy or radiation. Another cancer that is common for men is bladder cancer. Are there any particular symptoms of that? And is there a test to detect that? Bladder cancer, usually if patients present uh, with blood in the urine, they need to see a urologist to be sure that it is not bladder or kidney cancer. Some patients will start having more frequent urination and irritability of urinating but there is really no screening test that is recommended other than when you go to your family doctor for your annual exam is to give them a urine specimen and they'll check to see if there's blood or other things that uh, could be associated with other medical problems. Again, the bottom line is if men are experiencing some of these symptoms, they really need to have a discussion and be seen by a doctor so they can be caught early. That's absolutely true. It's a matter of if you go in, just like taking your car or having it checked, if you go in and have yourself checked, most of these things can be identified early. Another part of the article talked about that more men die from diabetes than women. The death rates for men are 31.2 per 100,000 versus 19.5 deaths 
per 100,000 for women. And there are different types of diabetes. Now, I know that that is not your specialty, but if you could just give us a brief definition of prediabetes, type 1 diabetes, and type 2. So prediabetes is just determined through a routine blood test. When you go in and have your blood work done, they'll do a fasting blood sugar. That's also included with all the other electrolytes, your sodium, potassium, etc. If it's found to be elevated, then they'll do another blood test on you called a hemoglobin A1C. If it is slightly elevated, but not in the range for diabetes, you're determined to be a pre-diabetic. And basically, you're told you need more exercise and get a handle on your weight, eat better, and the likelihood is it's not going to advance to diabetes. Now, there's a difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile onset diabetes. And what that is, is that it's a genetic disorder where the body is destroying the cells of the pancreas that produce insulin. Insulin is what controls your blood sugar. So in children, they're found very early on, and the only treatment is to take medications to lower their blood sugar. And typically, it's insulin. Sometimes they put them on insulin pumps. There are some oral medications that they can take as well. Type 2 diabetes is also referred to adult onset diabetes. And it's usually because we don't exercise, we have bad eating habits, obesity is a huge problem in this country, and patients' blood sugars get out of control. Those are treated with medications. But insulin and oral medications like metformin are used, which usually is able to control the blood sugar. And usually you're told, you know, you need to go on a diet and exercise, you lose weight. Yeah, patients that are motivated that change their habits, exercise, diet, lose weight, are able to get off medications in a large percentage of patients. The article also quoted other statistics. For example, infants, uh, death of baby boys, 5.87 to 1,000 live births for boys compared to 4.95 deaths per 1,000 live births for girls. And then the death rate for teens, 44.5 per 100,000 for boys compared to 21.3 per 100,000 for girls. The death rates when it comes to suicide, men die by suicide four times more than women. And these particular deaths I thought were very interesting. Motor vehicle crash deaths, 72% men. Pedestrian deaths, 71% men. Bicyclist death, 87% men. And motorcycle death, 92% men. Now, we do realize that men are known to engage in more risky behaviors than women, but those are huge percentages. I agree that men overall do take more risk, are involved in more physical activities, more physical athletic activities. You see more and more high school football players who have catastrophic injuries and some deaths involved in that. And I don't know if it's related to the male testosterone factor or what it is, but certainly 
in adolescence and early 20s and 30s, men are passing away at a higher rate. One of the parts of the article was a short discussion that men in the past have been viewed as the privileged default, which leads to health experts ignoring important sex differences that could eliminate health issues across gender and minority groups. For example, a widely held belief in medical circles was that women used too many healthcare resources compared to men. And as a result, men were viewed as the standard for seeking health care, while women were just often dismissed as hysterical or anxious when they sought care. And medical circles used to think that women were overutilizing health care and men were doing it correctly, when in reality, it was that women were doing it better, mostly because of preventative care and men were actually underutilizing health care. I don't disagree with that at all. Again, I think that men have this feeling that they don't need to go to a doctor, everything is good, or they're hiding it, going in and seeing a primary care on an annual basis would resolve a lot of the health issues that men are facing. Dr. Sherlock, my husband died of a cardiac arrest. And we did everything we could because he was having classic symptoms. We went to the local hospital and then we went over to Mayo Clinic and they ran many tests and they kept saying, it's not his heart, it's GERD. And it was all manageable. Well, then within six weeks of all of that, he passed away. Could you tell us, I mean, I know what we did But could you tell our audience when you should seek the emergency room for the GERD-like or heart-like features where you might be having a heart attack instead of just a GERD and indigestion? When should you go and seek medical help? Well, I think that any time that it strikes that could be your heart, you shouldn't even question that one bit. Even if you end up going there and get testing and they tell you it's GERD or other problems, if you postpone seeking help, it could be too late. A lot of it, again, has to do with your health. Family history makes a huge portion of that. So if you feel like there's a problem that is potential being your heart, you shouldn't hesitate to go and don't put it off. In my husband's case, in retrospect, I believe that his cancer began as esophageal cancer. By the time they actually diagnosed him with cancer, they couldn't really pinpoint where it was. So they weren't able to do a specialized chemotherapy or whatever. But he had always had acid reflux. Mm -hmm. And I believe that led to Barrett's syndrome because he would get these coughing spells to the point that he was actually choking. And I would look at him and say something. And he said, I just swallowed wrong. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't believe he shared any of that with his doctors. Did he see a gastroenterologist? No, 
he had rheumatoid arthritis. So he went to his rheumatologist a lot and our rheumatologist was a good friend of his. And every time he had an appointment with him, I asked him, please tell him about these choking sessions. My guess is he probably never even mentioned it. And so I think it started as esophageal. By the time they diagnosed him, it was pretty much all over in right. all kinds of parts of his body. But again, if he had just mentioned that, they might have been able to pinpoint it or at least pinpoint it a little bit earlier. Right. Well, you know, physicians can't determine what the problem is if the patient is not up front and leading on, you know, what the symptoms are. Sure. Uh, we can ask questions, you know, we can run a few tests, but if someone is having a problem and is not relaying that information to the physician, the spouse, whatever, we'll never know. Before we close, Dr. Sherlock, what further advice can you give to men to prioritize their health and seek treatment sooner rather than later? I think it all gets down to you need to go in and have a annual exam. And it's not so hard to do. It doesn't take a big chunk of your day out. There's not a lot of problems that you'll encounter at that visit. You know, you'd be surprised how easy it is, and it'll save you years of your life. This has been so informative, and we want to thank you for so much for being on our show today. Well, you're very welcome. I hope I made a difference in at least one man out there. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We want to thank our very special guest, Dr. Paul Sherlock, for being on our show today and discussing men's health issues. Of course, we always want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to write a comment, our email address is modern.whittle.podcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at Modern Whittle Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the following apps. Anchor, Spotify, Breakers, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Fran and I will be on location for our next episode. We will be on the SS Badger celebrating the 70th anniversary of this ferry traveling from Ludington, Michigan to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran, and my closing thoughts for today, it's not really a quote, they're more thoughts, popped up on my Facebook feed a couple of days ago, and I just liked it, thought it would be a nice ending. It's four beautiful thoughts on life. Look back and get experience. Look forward and see hope. Look around and find reality. Look within and find yourself. See you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.